And good morning again to you. I'm uh, Pastor Dave Mitchell, and we, uh, I again want to personally in, uh, welcome you and thank you for coming. Thanks to George and the team that's up here filling in for uh, Ron, and uh, well, some of the regulars are up there. Helen is there too as well. But it's good to be with you all again. We are concluding a series that we have been in in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to take the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 6, and there's an outline that you're going to find uh, very handy and uh, really instructive because we want to recap a little bit of what we've looked at as we look at some of the new text that is in here as well. Let me read the passage that we're looking at this morning in Ephesians. It's all around the theme of making life better together as we communi- have communion with one another and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, we just concluded last week on the matter of prayer and then the Apostle Paul says in verse 21, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Now, often when we read a book in the Bible and have a time of study going through that text, it's easy to sort of gloss over sections like this that seem like sort of a, sort of a wrap-up, but we've really done the heavy lifting, the heavy studying. We want to dig a little bit deeper into this little section here. And the thing that I am intrigued by is how this teaches us some of the basic things that we have learned of what makes life better together. And uh, so I want to drill down there, and then we're going to do a little recap, a little reflection, some of the things that uh, really stuck out in my mind, maybe they stuck out in your mind as we look back as well. But the first thing that strikes me that makes our lives better together is that you become the person, I become the person that actually makes life better together. It's a personal thing. Paul writes in verse 21 again, and I'll highlight in the yellow the part that I wanted to really focus on, but that you also may know about my circumstances and how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Now, often we see these names, you get into the genealogies, the Old Testament, the New Testament, long list of names, and uh, they are not people we personally know. We can't hardly even pronounce their names, and uh, it's easy to gloss over them. But I wanted to highlight Tychicus. He is one that is uh, in a sporadic variety of areas of Scripture that it's important for us to understand. He is the kind of person that made light for Paul better because they did it together. So let me highlight a little bit of Tychicus' life. Here are some of the things that makes you better with other people. For example, he's the kind of person that would stay with Paul regardless of his circumstances. Now, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he was in prison. Now, when we have people that are in prison, we may go visit them. It's hard to get in. We have to go through all the credentials and all that process. And it's not always easy, so we just sort of forget about them until they get released. Paul's in prison. Tychicus is with him in this situation. So when Paul wrote four letters that were written from prison, known as the prison epistles, Tychicus was one of those that lived in Ephesus 
and cared deeply about Paul and didn't say, because this life has taken a bad turn for you, Paul, I'm moving on to something a little bit easier for me. You stay with someone regardless of how their circumstances may decrease or improve. Secondly, what I love about Tychicus is the kind of person that makes life better together is that he's willing to share in the cost of ministry no matter what personal cost it may come to him. One of the places that we see about Tychicus is in Acts chapter 19 and 20. When Paul went to Ephesus the first time, there was a riot in the city. Luke wrote Acts. He wrote this. The city was filled with a confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the, the disciples would not let him. So where Paul would go because of what he would preach, because of the economic changes, because people were losing business, because people were being saved, the gospel had been promoted, this is the kind of climate that Paul will gravitate to. He was this kind of guy that attracted crisis. And every so often, he'd get beaten, he'd been left for dead, he'd been imprisoned. And that's not always the kind of person that you and I want to hang out with. Wherever they go, there seems to be a riot. Or there seems to be people who hate him. There seems to be people who want to persecute him. Also in Acts chapter 20, Luke goes on, And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he left to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through the districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So he's just doing his job, and suddenly another plot is hatched to somehow do him in, probably wanted to take his life. And then we read, And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and Aristarchus, and Secundus, and the, the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. Timothy was in Ephesus, Tychicus in Ephesus. Now, was Tychicus with him in every riotous situation? I don't know. But the fact that Tychicus says, Paul, whatever you do, wherever you go, I'm with you. I am one of your companions. I'm one of your fellow disciples. And if it means riots, I'm with you. It means plots that want to execute you, I'm with you. If it means beatings and being left for dead, I'm there. Tychicus did not sort of count the cost and determine the price is too high. He was always the companion that Paul could look to along with his other men. That's the kind of person that likes, might, makes life better together. Because you and I will go through circumstances where life suddenly changes financially, health, relationships. And if we only pick and choose our friends based upon when life is good, then we're not, making, we're not becoming the person that makes life better together. The selfwardness destroys the togetherness of what Paul calls us into. Thirdly, I noticed about Tychicus that he's willing to do any task that the Lord or Paul would ask him to do. Second Timothy 4.12 is one of the last things that Paul ever wrote. He asked for people to bring him a coat and some of his parchments and some of his books. Maybe that's what Tychicus was going to do. We don't know. But Tychicus, he says, I, I sent him to Ephesus. He's going back to his home. That's where Timothy was. Tychicus says, you know, Paul, whatever you need, I will do it for you. 
Tychicus didn't say, you know, that's not really my thing. That's not my gift. That's not my calling. That's not my passion. That's not my level of interest. It's going to be too costly for me. He just said, Paul, if you need me to go back to Ephesus, I'm there. I'm going. I'll take what you need. He may have even taken the letter to the Ephesians that Paul had written and carried it to them as well. But I love this Tychicus that someday we'll get to heaven, and if you get to heaven before me, would you tell him that there's a guy down there named Dave that's talking about you? Because he'll be blown away because he thinks most people are just a little, you know, little list of names that nobody knows how to pronounce. We don't know who he is. But this is the kind of person that Paul recognized that made life better together. And then finally, Tychicus, being a better together kind of a guy, is the kind of guy that you can trust or the kind of woman, in the case might be, that you can trust with all the details of your life. I love what Paul also wrote to the Colossians. Colossians and Ephesians are almost companion buddies in terms of their location and the letter that was written. And to the Colossians he writes, "...and all as to all of my affairs..." Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Very similar words to what he wrote in Ephesians. But as to all of my affairs, Tychicus will encourage your hearts. How many of you have friends who aren't relatives that you could say, here are all of my affairs? Here's everything you need to know about me. I am an open, transparent person. There is nothing I am holding back. I want to disclose to you everything that you need to know about all of my affairs. How many of us have friends that reach that category? Now, we all have friends, and we probably share a little bit of this, a little bit of sharing of that, uh, maybe 30%, maybe 50%, but there's not a lot of us that have somebody like a Tychicus that says, here's all of my affairs. Would you take that? Would you encourage the people in Colossae, the people in Ephesus? Because I don't have anything to hide. I am an open person. When Calvary Church has members where we don't have anything to hide, we have nothing that we won't disclose, we are open to share our lives, as imperfect as they may be. And Paul was not perfect. But when we get to that level of communication and communion with one another, when that community says, as to all of my affairs, I've put them in your hands. I trust you. That is the sweet spot that God had always intended for the church to be. There's not a lot of us that want to do that. But we are growing in that. I think about this pile of of prayer cards. Remember last week was a great service. We got from you 450-plus prayer cards. When I read through these, it's just staggering to me to help me to appreciate where a lot of you are living in terms of marriages, in terms of health, in terms of finances, in terms of jobs, in terms of children, parents, grandparents, the struggles, the highs, the lows. Often, I would guess 90% are tremendous needs that you have. Every so often we get those. I just want to give a praise to God for what he's doing in my life, in our church, for the service that I experienced. And those are good too. But it made me understand, and I need to be constantly reminded, 
that we look around this room, we sort of look at each other, and we're all kind of dressed okay. And we sort of look okay. I mean, some of you look really great, and some of us are just okay. But as you look around, you might begin to think that, you know, I think we're just all kind of okay. I'm okay, you're okay. But then I read this, and I realize, no, we're not all just okay. And the more we are willing to share our hearts and our lives, to really be that open, here's all of my affairs, and I mean that in the best sense of that word, affairs, okay? It just hit me. But here is my life. I don't have to hold back anything. I feel like I have the kind of community that can hear what I'm going through and still love me, embrace me, not judge me, not condemn me. That is what the church is always designed to be. That is what makes life better together. Because when you have somebody that you can sit down and say, here are the things that I'm dealing with, and have a sympathetic, empathetic ear on the other end to receive that, and still love me with that, and still embrace me in that, that brings healing. That's the community we want at Calvary Church. We invite you into that. So that's what I love about Tychicus. He's the kind of guy that we want to become. That someone like the great Apostle Paul can say, I put my life in your hands, Tychicus. You go and communicate what's going on with me. I've got nothing to hide. That's powerful. So we will be better together when we are the people like Tychicus who have those qualities. And secondly, we'll be better together when we serve in the same way that Tychicus served Paul. And there are two things that I want to observe about Paul's Tychicus relationship. How he served him. Paul writes in verse 22, I've sent him to you. Of course, Tychicus now going from where Paul was to Ephesus for this very purpose. So what's the purpose? That's twofold. He says, I want him to come to you so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. So there's two things that we do to help others grow together better. First of all, we provide information to other people that helps us connect with other people. He says, I want you to know, I want you to pass on, take a guess, here's all of my affairs, I want you to pass on so that others will know about me. I think one of the good examples, we just had Stacy up here. Remember during the series, I had Stacy come up here on Father's Day. She shared some really tough stuff about her life. She's part of our staff. And I chatted with her a couple times before I would have her come up here and we would interview. And I, you know, I want to make sure, are you okay sharing this stuff? I don't want to put you in a place where there would be this level of discomfort and difficulty. She says, yeah, I'm, I'm good with it. So she had a brokenness with her father and still has no relationship with her earthly father. Doesn't want to be with him. Wasn't at her wedding that she just remarked about with her husband. And she sat here and she shared her heart of the struggles of growing up in a home where there is this awfulness that takes place. How God got a hold of her heart and has begun and continues to bring about healing. 
When you hear somebody share their heart and their life that way, you get to know them in a new light. You begin to see them differently. You begin to understand who they are and how they operate. And there's a closeness that begins to grow. Think about the couple that we had just last Sunday. Guests that I had met for the first time last Sunday. But somehow, perhaps you're like me, suddenly I feel very close to them even though I hardly know them. Because they stand up here and they share about a brain tumor and God's healing and the disability that comes from it. But they do so in a winsome and an attractive way that somehow God has brought healing to their hearts, if not fully to the full body. And then they sing that beautiful prayer. We're drawn to that. There is a sense of closeness and connection. And when Paul talks about, I want you to know about us, it's that that we're talking about. And then afterwards, to be over here and have both services, people standing in line waiting to be prayed for, and 450 cards that are turned in beyond those that stood in line to be prayed for. And I haven't asked their permission, but I hope they'll forgive me. So sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. (laughs) But I think that that will be okay. And then to see Dave and Linda Cowan come up there. Okay. (laughs) There you are. Hey, you're sitting in the wrong spot. You're supposed to be sitting over there. Whoa, I'm sorry, you guys. He's left you behind. So he's Dave's over here. We love Dave and Linda Cowan. Been here for so long. And Dave just had a melanoma tumor taken out of his brain uh, just, what, a month or so ago. And just remarkable how God has cared for them. And the last report last week, giving him a good report. But to see Dave and Linda go to this couple, Linda talk to the wife, well, that's a kind of connection that happens when you have community that is open and sharing. Had that couple not come, that would not have happened. Had that couple not shared their journey of a brain tumor and the disability that follows, that would not have happened. Had Dave and Linda not come forward and had the elders pray over them and others have prayed over them and have the medical team do such a great job and be open with the struggle, that would not have happened. You see, when we know about others and their struggles and they share them in a context and a community that says we will love you no matter what, that we don't have stipulations for our love, we don't have conditions, well, that's a little bit beyond, I can't be with you in that. No, sorry, got to turn my back on that. When we are open and sharing together that way, then we have life that God intended in the church that is indeed better together. I love this. I think I might have used this. Christine Kane had been writing about another thing that I wanted to share. I don't have time to, but this is what she wrote. I'm intrigued by what this says about becoming the person that serves, that makes life better together. Hurt people hurt people, but helped people help people seems so obvious, and yet it's sort of true. Broken people break people, but rebuilt people build people. Shattered people shatter people, but whole people restore people. Damaged people damage people, but loved people love people. 
Wounded people wound people, but healed people bind up wounds. And bound people bind people, but freed people help lead others to freedom. We want the second column, where we are open and knowing and growing and sharing together. But secondly, not only do we serve one another by knowing about each other, as Paul says, take all of my affairs, let them know about how I'm doing. I want them to know me. I'm in this cell, but I want them to know how I'm doing. Secondly, provide encouragement. He says, I want you to come alongside. I want you to comfort them. The word comfort often is used, and I talk about it, para meaning beside, kaleo meaning to call. The word comfort means I come alongside and call to someone. I encourage them. I beseech them. I plead with them. I beg with them or other English words that translates that parakaleo, Greek word. But when we are those kind of people that come alongside, and so to wrap that point up, I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Now, let's do a little back, look back, I should say. On the back side of your outline, I captured some of the themes that we talked about over this last number of months that really strike me as being fundamental and important in various different ways. I love the opening salvo that Paul writes when he begins everything on the foundation of what God has done, his sovereign control in Ephesians 1. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And I want to just stop there. One of the things we said back then is that I don't need to ask God. I do this. I say, God bless me, bless them. But God says, I've already blessed you. So pray that I would understand the blessings that are already mine. That is our sovereign God. I've already been blessed in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. God, let me see them. And this is the powerful thing, that He chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. He chose you and me before we were born. He didn't wait to check us out. He didn't sort of kick the tires and see whether we're worthy of His love. He says, I, you haven't been born yet, but I still have chosen you. We have no conditions for God's love. So he chose us before the foundation of the world that we will be holy and blameless. That's our calling. That's the highest calling before him. In love he predestined us to the adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. That God takes us and adopts us into his family. And when you adopt, we use the analogy, I think it was Jason Aaron, when you adopt a child into your family from a different culture, maybe a different language, a different um, uh, standard of living, then there's a lot of changes that occur. So we take from that culture, that language, and they become part of our family, and we begin to build a new life together. God says, I've taken you from the culture of Satan and I've adopted you into the culture of Christ and now I want to conform you to the new family you're in. The second thing that I noticed is to seek the Lord in prayer when we may lose heart in difficult times. I love this prayer that the Apostle Paul has in Ephesians chapter 3. 
And the way he begins that prayer and began that prayer as we studied it way back then is that he says to them in verse 13, Therefore I ask you to not lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory to the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, you want a prayer, you want to know how to pray, there's a prayer, that's how you pray. That's powerful. I wish I could pray that way every day. I wish my mind wouldn't wander in distractions about temporal, unimportant issues that sort of sneak its way into my brain. But Paul says, if you're going to lose heart, here's how to pray. This is the prayer. When we talked about that, some of you might remember, I told the story of a fellow of a woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott. Charlotte Elliott was in England. She wasn't a believer. And then an uh, evangelist came to England, Cesar Milan, and uh, somehow met her at a dinner table and asked her if she has become a Christian yet. And she says, no, in fact, I'm offended that you would ask me that. So he backed away and says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to push or offend you. And then a few days later, as the Spirit of God began to work in her heart, and she actually contacted Cesar again. said, well, I can't get that out of my mind. What did you mean by that? Have I become a Christian yet? And he shared with her that you don't have to do anything before you get saved to be saved. He said, you just have to come to him just as you are. And so in the course of that, she became saved. And then she became crippled so that she couldn't walk. And she had a family member that was trying to build up funds for a camp for kids. And she was so depressed that she physically couldn't do anything to help construct that camp. So in her pain, she wrote a little poem that went this way, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That little poem was put to music, and that little poem then was sold, and sold again, and all the funds for that poem and that song that was sung and read, those funds went to that camp to help build it. And God took this heart of Charlotte Elliott that felt like she had nothing to give, but just as I am, she came. And out of that, penned this song that we still sing to this day. And that has God used her. She lived to be something like 82 years of age. That's how you don't lose heart. As you turn to the Lord and understand the work that God wants to do in our lives. We also saw in this whole series, as we look back, 
is that learning how to love and relate to one another. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, some of the ways we live better together is to recognize some of the things that are so destructive, and Paul lists these things. In verse 25, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, so stop lying to one another. Remember the little boy I shared with you? And uh, I hope, if you're like me, I can't hardly remember what I said last week, so I feel safe in saying these things. But this little boy that uh, had one of these ceremonies where we have done that up here with a cross and people bring and they write their sins on this little piece of paper and they nail it to the cross. And so this is an Ash Wednesday event and so they, they gathered together all their things and wrote down all the problems and sins and so forth. And uh, the family came up and their little nine-year-old boy brought up with his and the parents folded it up and tacked it to the cross and the little boy opened his up and in little nine-year-old penmanship, giant words were written, and he put his name on it, and he put his name on it having said, I want to stop lying. And his parents said, well, don't you want to fold that up so nobody can see it? And he says, no, I want everybody to see it, because maybe there's somebody out there that can make me stop lying. It's that kind of openness that says, look, I can't do this anymore on my own, I'm hoping there will be others that will surround me. Not only should I stop lying, but stop being angry. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't steal anymore. Don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. He says, I want you to relate to, to each other in those ways. And when we get to know someone, as Paul is describing it, we are less likely to have this kind of mean-spirited, unwholesome word that goes against another. I want to remind you of something that uh, I enjoyed every time I watched it, and maybe you'll enjoy it a second time. But we showed you a video of Robinson Cano, a New York Yankees, and went to another team. And when he went to another team, the Yankee fans were so angry and yelled awful things about him. I want you to watch what they set up and did. So let's take a look at the video. Uh, tomorrow night, Robinson Cano, the former New York Yankee all-star second baseman, uh, returns to Yankee Stadium for the first time since he left for a 10-year, $240 million contract with the Seattle Mariners. Now, obviously, Cano's going to hear a, lot, a fair share of boos when he steps up to the plate tomorrow, and uh, well, that could be jarring for any player. So that's why, uh, to get him used to it, we sent Robinson Cano out to the streets of New York <laughs> to get booed by actual Yankee fans. <laughs> but here's the catch. The fans thought they were just booing a cardboard cutout of Robinson Cano. <laughs> they didn't realize that the real Robinson Cano was standing right behind it. Their reactions are pretty great. Check it out. Hi, I'm Robinson Cano, and I'm about to get booed by some Yankees fan. Are you a Yankee fan? Yes. Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you going to boo him? Of course. All right, well, we have this picture of him right behind you, so whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo it as much as you want. Boo! You know what? You no longer welcome here. Bye. Try again. You no longer... Oh, 
Now, Robinson Cano is coming back to Yankee Stadium tomorrow night for the first time mm -hmm. since becoming a Seattle Mariner. Are you, are you going to boo him? I'm going to boo the out of him. <laughs> well, uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead. All right. Give him your best boo. Boo! You suck! That was awesome. Maybe try, try it again. Should I try it again? Yeah. Hey, <laughs> Robbie, welcome back to New York. Thank you. back, right? Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Are you going to boo him? Uh, you know, he won a World Series ring here, but he did leave for the money, so... Why don't you go ahead and give him as many boos as you want? Come on, Robinson. I mean, how many World Series titles do the Mariners have? Oh, come on, boo! You're better than that. You got a, a beard now? You're better than that. Boo! Oh. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the boo. Thank you. Welcome back to New York. Thank you. Uh, whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo. You should go home, boo! Try booing him one more time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> How you doing, man? Are you going to boo him? Yes, I am. Boo! All right, well, we actually have this picture of him right behind you. So whenever you're ready, go ahead and boo him as much as you want. Boo, Robinson. You should have stayed here. When is this in New York? Not in Seattle. Try booing him one more time. Boo! Stay in Seattle. We don't need you in New York. Hey! How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Go ahead. Boo him as much as you want. Boo! Boo! Whoa! How you doing? Yeah, thanks for the boo. Well, I won't boo you. I won't boo you. I won't actually boo you. I'll, uh, I'll be rooting for you to... Uh, play well, but not win. <laughs> Are you going to boo him? Absolutely. All right, well, whenever you're ready, go ahead and uh, boo him for as long as you want. Right here? Yep. Boo! 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 Come on, everybody. Boo! Actually, try one more. One more? Yeah. Oh, How you doing? <laughs> Listen, about that, right? Here's what happened. <laughs> That's weird. Only in New York. Only in New York. I swear. So I think you get the point. You know, when you really... It's so easy sort of in the abstract to get a bit of gossip to somehow feel distant from someone, but when you're close, when you know, when you trust... When you have the benefit of doubt, when you believe the best, when you connect well, it has a way of changing the relationship. And there's a lot of things we'll put up as barriers. And we talked a little bit about that over the course of times between men and women, between different cultures and different races and different ethnic backgrounds and languages and people groups, different standards of living. We talked about this employers and the employees or the masters and the slaves. Sometimes we have these created barriers, but when we look beyond them, we actually in person know them. We become acquainted better with them. It changes. And what the Apostle Paul says here is to let no unwholesome word, but be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving others, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. And I love that uh, sort of coincidentally, if you will, the big word of grace behind the head of each person. Well, that's symbolic that it takes a whole lot of grace to not feel resentment, not to have anger, 
not to feel this bitterness, but to be released by all that through Christ, who has forgiven me, and now I need to give that to everyone else. That's what God calls us to. And when we think about people in the abstract and the theory, it's easy to label them. But God invites us into something much deeper than that. And then the last area, well, the area of marriage that is here, to grow in that relationship with a kind of love that is sacrificial, that is sanctifying, that is sensitive, based on Ephesians chapter 5, to have the kind of love that nourishes and cherishes our spouses. And I shared with you um, that that sensitive love is to be able to love someone the way they feel makes them feel loved, not the way that I feel loving. And I shared with you how on one of the first anniversaries with Joy and me, I got her a dustbuster and uh, Black & Decker uh, battery-operated, probably the best that was on the market at the time. I felt loving in giving that to her. It didn't feel loving in receiving that from me. And there are those things that we think are so clever and so good and so loving, but they can come across in the very wrong way. So have a love that is sacrificial, that is sensitive, that really builds a relationship that makes another feel loved. And then finally, this whole thing about living this strong life to remember we live in a spiritual war. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers and powers, and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. But he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, that we are in a war. That's why Paul wraps it up in this way. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an incorruptible love. When we live life better together because I am the person that God can use, because I serve the way God can use me, to know, to comfort, but I'm the kind of person that I can trust my life with, I can trust your life with, where there is no barrier, there is no boundary to the love that I express then I have a life of peace with each other. Then I have a life that displays love and faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Then I have a life that is full of grace and incorruptible love. And that word incorruptible is used in 1 Corinthians 15. When you and I who are in Christ die, we will be resurrected with an imperishable or incorruptible body. The kind of love that Paul is inviting us into is the kind of love that never goes away, that never wears out, never gets tired that continues on forever and ever. And that's the kind of love that God wants for us. So he invites us into that relationship because we live in a spiritual war where there are battles and the evil one wants to take us out. So I want us to, I want us to do something, recognizing that we are in a spiritual war and the battle is raging all around us. I want us to pray, and I'm going to invite you to put your hands on the seats that are in front of you, because in those seats, and you can see all already numbered, you're going to be playing, the front rows are praying for 
first, second, third grades, and on the way, all the way back to sixth grade. I want us to pray over those seats because we live in a war zone, and this is going to be the hub of activity of that war zone because we're going to be bringing a thousand children into this room, and we're going to be sharing the gospel with them. We're going to be praying with them in another room, those who want to receive Christ. I want us to pray over this that God would respond prayerfully and powerfully through each of us. So would you put your hands on those seats? Would you pray for a moment? Say, God, whoever sits in that seat, God, I pray for victory because we're better together when we pray for them. And then I'll close us in prayer. So pray for those seats in front of you and the side of you. Father God, for each of those children and the workers who will be sitting in those seats, God, we know that we live in a war zone. There is a spiritual battle, not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of the air. They will want to destroy any good thing that would come from this coming week, one of the most significant weeks in the life of Calvary Church, where children are being challenged with the claims of Jesus through a very winsome and attractive and creative method, but God, the message remains the same. Christ, sacrifice on that cross, His death, burial, and resurrection, that these children would come to know Jesus personally. So God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you rebuke all demons and all spiritual forces that will pray against us and the work that we want to accomplish this week. But God, ultimately, it's your work. You are God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And as Paul outlined the power that he has given to us, may we see evidence of it even starting tomorrow morning. So thank you. So we commit that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a little video wrap-up of scenes from the last few months of Life Better Together. When his peace is in me, then there is no anxiety about the the affairs of the world that often entangle us. There's not worry, there's no anxiety. We read the headlines, we hear about officers being killed, we hear about officers killing other people. We see the politics, we see all this stuff, and it can cause a lot of anxiety to say, Lord God, what's going on in this world? And then we say, but God, your peace is in me, and to wherever I go, Your peace will go with me. Here's my heart. Jesus is calling us to this life where we take off our grave clothes. That old way of living, those are your grave clothes. And he says, I've set aside for you a divine wardrobe. And this is what I want you to wear. Now, you will live better together when you have humility, gentleness, and patience. Your marriage will be better if you are known for your humility, your gentleness, and your patience. These are the qualities God said. Paul, write them down. These three I want my people to have. It's possible that in our hearts we we don't see each other as one. And when we do that, we start to speak poorly, unwholesome, rotten words. And what it's doing, it is 
it's just not going to stop. The kindness of God, for me, led me to repentance. The kindness of me may lead someone else to repentance. So I've put away bitterness. I've put away slander. put away anger, wrath, and blasphemy. i put away all those things, and i become a kind person. I'm the kind of person then that is in a position to forgive others. Jesus forgave you like you're called to forgive others. You see, there's this idea that when we forgive someone or something, there's a cost to it. Someone pays a cost for our forgiveness. If we choose to forgive them, we actually take on the cost, right? Because we're letting them off the hook. If we choose not to forgive them, we're putting the cost on that person. We're saying it's your fault, I'm the victim, you deserve to carry this cost. Jesus doesn't offer either solution. He says, I will take the cost. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes our spiritual eternity and our future, but he changes everything about the way we would live our lives here as well. God, when he remakes you and he becomes your identity, truth is the thing which marks you, and it's the way that we communicate to one another. Have that strong conviction, but be gentle with people as you are expressing that conviction. That's how we can be better together, because we need to be truth tellers, but we need to be loving in the way that we express that truth. We who believe in the unity of the body of faith, who stand on that We better live in that. We are the church. I'm going to read it again. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one in the body of Christ. We're all together. We are all saints. Put on. We're putting on the spirit together. We're putting off the bad. And we're putting on the new, which makes us one body. Grace has been given to you. So when you talk to one another, remember that grace has been given to each one of you as you come together under the one true God. God says every single day, you need to have my armor because I'm telling you, there are enemies and they're going to battle you. We get on our armor. We get ready, right? You have your breastplate of righteousness. You got the sword. You got your helmet. You got your shoes, right? Everything's ready for battle. But there's something different for us as Christian soldiers in a sense is that we go to the battle line and imagine this scene that you have all of this army of Christian soldiers and they're out and face to face ready to run into battle but that Christian army before they pull out the sword before they run and start screaming imagine an army that just drops down to their knees in prayer we need to be a body where truth in love builds one another up because we are members of one another. We grow that way. And this whole Better Together theme, we want it individually, we want it corporately. I want to be strong in terms of connecting with God and others. I want to be strong in growing in my faith. I want to be strong in reaching Orange County in the world for Jesus Christ. We need balance in all three areas to work better together. That's a worthy calling. And that's what we're invited into. We make the most of every opportunity to make Jesus be seen and for people to believe in him. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus.
We're going to conclude our service a little bit differently as the folks come up to lead us in worship. I'm going to invite you to stand, and uh, I'm going to invite us to make sure there's not an empty seat between us. Can we do that? Can we just squeeze together? Remember when the Roman soldiers had those uh, shields and they would get together, the shields would block all the stones coming their way? God says, unite one another together so that you have the power to overcome. So let's become one body, literally in the sense of our closeness. Yeah, you can cloud in the, the go in the, uh, the aisles. It doesn't matter if there's a fire or not. That doesn't matter. And so just come on close in. And So as you can squeeze into the middle, it's a better image of life better together. So let's conclude our time as we worship the Lord Jesus Christ.